Hey guys, what's up? It is week 130. I uh, don't have that many reviews for you because I guessed it, excuse King, I guessed it on uh, the 22 Shots and Moods and Horror podcast for Italian Month. Uh, that one should be out like uh, this Friday, so a couple days from now when you're seeing this. Um, so yeah, I, uh, we did three, uh, later Dario Argento movies. It was a blast. I was up 24, I've been up 24 hours. I, I took a, I went to sleep after that, but I was up 24 hours doing it. It was really cool to get to do a, a podcast with some of my favorite podcasters. Really, uh, had a lot of fun. Uh, look forward to going back. Hope you guys dig that. There'll be a link below for the Horphilia page and their page and all that kind of good stuff. So let's hop into the Creepshow reviews. This is the final episode. This is episode six. So we got 12 uh, little shorts and uh, the first season. They did renew it for a second season, so that's good news. And okay, the first one is called Skin Crawlers. Uh, I actually preferred this one over the other one. This one was really fun. Felt more like a Tales from the Crypt episode, just desserts kind of deal. Um, <clears throat> kind of like a superficial kind of thing. Well, basically what happens is this kind of uh, company discovers these weird giant like leech lamprey things that suck fat out. So everybody starts using them. They all become beautiful. And there's a, a kind of a solar eclipse, I think, coming uh, you know, around. And yeah, so you can see what happens. The solar eclipse affects animals a certain way. They're doing a live broadcast. And this one guy's really you know apprehensive about doing the whole uh, surgery and everything like that and it pays off it's gory it's over the top it's really gooey this one's really fun really enjoyable like this one the next one was written by a short story by joe hill stephen king's son so i was like okay that's a good sign and it was directed by tom freaking savini also a good sign so i was happy to see him get the directed episode because we had one by john harrison we had greg nicotero people that you know worked with george romero a lot or were involved with the original creep show so that is good to see um, this one is uh, like Champy or just called Champy. And this is kind of, a, you know, that kind of mythology about, you know, a Loch Ness style monster in this like a champion, is it? And they call him Champy or her Champy. So that's kind of this deal. We have this uh, family that's kind of in, in a tough spot because the father died. He was obsessed with uh, Lake Monster and he, nobody believed him. Kind of was kind of looked at as the crazy person of the town and he died at one point. I don't want to get into that or spoil too much. But now the kids and the mother are forced to live with this abusive, kind of stereotypical violent stepdad. Um, the writing in this one, the dialogue and stuff is not particularly great. It's very exposition-like. It's just tons of it and they repeat themselves all the time. They'd be like, my father believed in Champy and that's why he went missing. And when he was missing, he was looking for Champy because he liked Champy and he believed in Champy and nobody believed in Champy, but he's missing and because he looked for Champy. It's like, okay, I got it. I fucking got it. Um, like there's a uh, kids, the main kids are the stars in this one. So it does have that, I guess you'd say like ambulance quite quality. The practical effects are really cool. Of course they do discover a monster and it is dead and think Gorgo right away. You'll be like, Oh, that's going to be a Gorgo situation, uh, with this kind of deal. So if you've seen Gorgo, but, uh, if not, I guess it's, you'll have to leave it up to your imagination, but the end does have some CGI. I wasn't too bothered by that. I was really just kind of bothered by the dialogue of the kids and the tons of exposition. I will give it up to the stepdad who I thought was uh gave one of the better performances in the in this episode i thought that um he, when he first meets the girl the the young girl has like kind of a boyfriend he first meets her uh him he terrorizes him and the stuff he says he was a vietnam vet is actually really kind of scary and i thought he delivered that kind of like monologue very well besides that i thought the acting was a little kind of weak on this one and you can't a lot of kid actors aren't perfect but i, I don't even know if it's the acting it's more like the dialogue the written dialogue is just kind of really corny and they they say way too much and when the lines should be a lot shorter i think would be more impactful it, i don't i didn't really care for this one and I, I thought i was gonna love it but i like the idea it just also not really feel like a creep show thing to me but i'm not gonna have judge it completely on that but um that one i wasn't a huge fan of but the first one skin crawlers i liked so yeah that's the first season all in all i think it is we're checking out for sure i enjoyed quite a bit of them more i enjoyed more than i disliked and the ones i didn't uh, like too much weren't absolutely painful to get through except maybe with the exception i thought the halloween one was kind of cringy and this one i thought like the, the the writing was kind of cringy in the dialogue but besides that i was fine with the the whole series uh for the most part but we're gonna hop into the first review okay this one is from Dark Sky Films, and this is Bliss by Joe Biegos. Or Joe Biegos, is that how you say it? Biegos? 
Sorry if I mispronounced his name. I always tend to do that. But yeah, I was really excited to check this one out. This is his third film after um, Almost Human, and his second film was Mind's Eye. He has a fourth one coming up called the the just called VFW. And uh, I've been watching this guy's movies that they came out, and I thought Almost Human was very ambitious, and I thought it was okay. Um, Mind's Eye, I thought, was a huge step up. I loved it. And uh, Bliss is even a bigger step up. And and like good directors, he gets better with every movie, and they're all different. So, but he has his style. I love this freaking movie. This is probably one of my favorite horror movies of the year. Uh, it's shot in 16 millimeters, so it's got a really great look to it, a kind of a grainy look that instantly reminds you of kind of like grittier movies that you used to love and watch all the time. Uh, this is an L.A. film, so but it's kind of like looking at the underbelly of the art scene in L.A. We have uh, our lead uh, character's name is Desi. And uh, it's a tremendous performance in here. Probably one of my favorite performances. I think it's dead on and perfect and a completely dedicated and powerful performance. She is an artist and she has a lot of commission work. She's struggling with money. Her deadbeat boyfriend, played by Jeremy Gardner, isn't kind of dragging her down a little bit. And uh, she uses a recovering drug addict and... To fight a dry spell, she decides to use some drugs, and they call this drug Bliss. And it's I, I don't know what the hell it is, but it's super intense. She buys it from her drug dealer, played by Graham Skipper, who's becoming like one of my favorite guys to spot. The first time I saw him, I was like, okay, you know, I'm not really... He was just an actor, and he was just there. And as it went on and on, and I see him pop up in more and more things, he's completely unrecognizable in this movie. Um, I barely recognized him. I was like, is that him? Because I knew he was in it. He gets so much better every time. He's become one of these favorite faces for me to see. I love him in this movie. So basically, she takes this drug, and uh, with a couple of nights hanging out with old friends, she uh, somebody's murdered, she's splattered with blood, and not going into detail, she becomes wildly addicted to blood. So you kind of know where this is going. Uh, it, it can be compared to something like The Addiction, which I think is, uh, you know, it's a, a Bel Ferreira vampire movie. It's got to be shot in New York, I believe. And that one's like black and white and has like the vampire metaphor with drugs. This one doesn't even, it just doesn't even have the metaphor. It's right in your face. Like the blood is the drugs and the addiction and everything like that. Um, it does make some statements on the art scene, I imagine, you know, the hypocrites and ridiculousness of it all. Um, but she keeps working on this piece, and uh, the more she craves blood, she goes crazier. And when she gets in these fits of blood, like rage, I guess you'd say, um, not to shout out Nightmare Shadow Woods, but she gets in this blood rage, she goes completely insane and attacks anyone. And the way they shoot that, the way they have the camera like at her angle, I just love it. She doesn't hold back, she goes completely insane. This movie has um, pretty wild sex scenes, uh, great lighting, uh, hypnotic stuff. It, it just looks freaking gorgeous, it's trippy, um, it's... Sh- it's how it should be in this kind of movie. I love this movie. Um, like I said, it's one of my favorite movies that came out this year. I think the acting's top notch. You see, like I said, familiar faces, kind of like, I guess they're not new newcomers, but they're a lot of people will call them newcomers. I guess they've probably been working for like 20 years, but Graham Skipper and Jeremy Gardner, I enjoy seeing, but also there's some other people in here. I love seeing uh, George Went is in here, which is great. And uh, the one of the bad guys from Georgia the Jungle, I never remember this guy's name. He um, he's in Georgia the Jungle. He's in here, and of course, uh, one of Billy Madison's best friends. That's not Norm Macdonald's, also in this movie, which blew my mind. And they all have nice little roles in here, and good dialogue, and good characters. Um, so when I actually a lot of the people that were killed, I felt bad for. Super gory. When people get killed in this or, or mangled, there's just fountains of blood and like stumps fountaining, and it's just intense and crazy. Um, I love this movie. Love the soundtrack, and they use like metal and like heavier music. And normally, I don't care for that. I think it's like, oh, here we go. But for some reason, it fits perfect in this movie, and it works really well. And I am maybe it's just the movie so good I didn't care, but I really think it actually enhances the movie, which is super rare for these kind of movies. But um, one of my favorite visually looking um, movies, um, and probably one of my favorite movies of the year. I loved it. I, I think it's highly recommended. There is a written review over at the Screaming Toilet page if you're interested. Link below. But highly recommended. Great stuff. Can't wait for VFW. Um, and check out Mind's Eye for sure. That's also a good one starring Graham Skipper. And I think Jerry Gardner as well. And as uh, Ashley Lynn Carter in that one? Um, I think she is. So Or Lauren Ashley Carter. Yeah. So yeah. Great stuff. Nikki's pushing me to drop your pieces. I'm going broke. I can't live off of nothing. And I can't live off 10% of nothing. I haven't finished painting in three months. Try this. Closest thing they got to a pure, uncut mix of cocaine and DMT. (laughs) 
I started painting again. I don't know, something came over me and then it all just started pouring out of me. I don't even remember doing it. Like you blacked out? It was like I was possessed. I mean, that's good, right? Yeah, it's great. Tell me, Des, do you think it was the bliss or the blood? Whatever you gave me, just let me know so I can kick it with something else because I am not well. I'm dying. You're not going to die. Trust me. I saw you painting in there. I saw your uh, inspiration all over the counter, too. <sighs> You don't give it up. You can't. Okay, the next one is from Synapse Films, and this is Watch Me When I Kill by, what is this director's name, Antonio Bitto. I had not seen this one. It's been floating around for years. I had always meant to watch it. Uh, yeah, it's a giallo, of course, um, made it probably in the 70s, uh, I think later 70s, to be honest. So this one, it started off, um, and it has like a murder of an old man in a, a drugstore. One of the main characters is around and almost witnesses it, and I was like, okay, where is this going? She kind of asked about her boyfriend friend about looking into it while the meanwhile somebody else in her apartment complex asked her about looking into it and ask him about looking into it and you're like these are a lot of fucking coincidences to start this movie but it appears that the killer is picking out these uh the a couple victims uh two victims that were from the sm same small town and the other guy who invest asked for the uh, private investigator's help was also from that small town. So it kind of paints this picture. He goes to the small town and discovers a really crazy thing. Um, this movie, this Giallo right here, it's um, untypical in a lot of ways, and the special features mention that, and that's what made it refreshing. I was about two-thirds into this, and I was like, where is this going? This doesn't make any sense. There's too many coincidences. This is very sloppy. And then by the end, it actually came together, which rarely, and I didn't notice any plot holes. And I was like, I really kind of enjoyed this and they uh somehow use the backdrop of world war ii and the nazis in here as kind of a you know motivation for the story and i thought that was also very interesting i can't recall any other giallos that do that it's not gratuitously uh full of nudity like a lot of the other ones i mean like um the special features say this guy says they have an old man bathing and i was like that is kind of strange in there and that death scene is very weird at the same time it's kind of like how they did in friday 13th part four where they have like the pretty guy showering instead of stabbing a woman in the shower they grab the pretty guy's face and just mash him against the wall and it's like that's awesome and i guess they're kind of going for this too kind of flip the little genre on its head just a little bit um there's a couple things in here that like i enjoyed like i enjoyed the discovery and and stuff like that but i literally i was going to be like this is not a particularly very good movie until the reveal and i was like that's damn near perfect and you almost side with the people who are are committing the crimes you really do you do have sympathy it looked really good it sounded really good um, it's not like a high body count movie or anything like that, and I wouldn't even say that the murders are overly gratuitous, although they are violent. Um, it's kind of a, you know, unconventional giallo in a lot of ways, but I do think that it is well worth checking out, and it is interesting, especially because it's probably one of the only ones that tackles the genre like this, so that is pretty cool. Synapse has included an interview with a, a guy, with his appreciation for the movie, and included the uh, three shorts by the director, which are really strange, which are kind of like weirdly edited music, uh, like piano things, kind of music video style. I don't really know what's going on with them, and I don't know what to make of them, but they're strange, and uh, I would recommend checking this one out. It's a bit different, and there's a nice little reveal how he how he kind of like slows down the tape that the killer's sending him to kind of discover some things, and then that it actually all pay, pay, pays off, which I like too. So yeah, watch me when I kill. Watch me when I kill.
Prepare yourself for shock after shock, for horror beyond belief, and spine-tingling suspense that never lets go. Turn them back on, I'm still in here. to witness a shattering adventure in total fright. suspense that awaits you when you see Watch me when I kill. Watch me when I kill. Okay, this next one here is Woman Chasing the Butterfly of Death by Mondo Macabro. This has an alternate title. This was made in 1978. Although I'm going to be honest, um, this is the South Korean movie, and it plays more like a, a movie from the Thai, from Thailand or like Indonesia from the, from like the early 70s or a Japanese movie from the 60s. I was surprised to see that this was from 78 from South Korea. Uh, oh, I don't even know where to start with this one. This movie is freaking bananas. We follow somebody who suffers from mental illness um so right off the bat you're like this guy is an unreliable narrator so what happens is in the very beginning he's hanging out with this girl and she tries to poison him and herself because she doesn't want to die alone and she has some weird fascination with him i guess so she's wearing this butterfly pendant and uh she dies. He survives. He takes the butterfly pendant because he survived. The cops didn't believe him. Then they realize he's a victim. And after that, he has some sort of uh, bout of depression and he, he wants to die. He's a student, but he just doesn't want to follow anything. He wants to kill himself. So he's getting ready to do so. And this old man continues to bother him and saying that if you read this book, you will never die. I can give you the secret of life. And he says, I don't want that. I want to die. This old guy won't let him. So he kills this old guy so he can kill himself. But this old guy will not die. So I know I feel like I'm spoiling a lot here, but this is only like the first 30 minutes of the movie. So it gets bonkers like that. He kills this old guy several times. And then we kind of move into this weird story where he's collecting bones. It's almost like an anthology where this guy just goes on these crazy, weird misadventures that all tie into one thing at the very end. And you're just like, why? Was this just some sort of drug-induced state? I don't freaking know. It's a completely bonkers, weird movie. So after that, and it's just like, I don't want to just run down the movie and explain it and everything like that. But in a lot of ways, this movie's so bizarre, it's kind of the only thing I can do. Um, I, besides obvious things like it, it's a very good-looking movie. It looks like the best movies from the 60s from Japan. It's, it's, it, there is some hair in the gate and stuff like that occasionally because it seems like a low-budget movie. But like I said, it doesn't really feel like a South Korean movie. And I haven't seen that many old South Korean films. I'm mostly familiar with their newer ones that are, you know, kind of like thriller revenge uh, movies and things like that and dark psychological horror dramas. But this is different. Like I said, it feels like it's from like Thailand or Indonesia or and Japan. It doesn't feel like South Korea to me. So um, what happens is he goes on this weird skeleton expedition and he starts uh, harvesting these bones and the skeleton comes to life. It's a beautiful woman and she needs to eat a liver. This is like the second part of the movie. Uh, I don't want to go into detail and spoil anything there, but he ends up starting uh, working for this, uh, I guess he's an anthropologist or guys who studies bones and he's getting all these weird skeletons that are showing up and nobody knows where they're coming 
coming from, but you know, there's some weird shady shit going on and he starts to work for him. He starts to have a relationship with his daughter and his daughter is very strange. Turns out she also has the butterfly pendant was best friends with the girl who tried to kill him. And she wants to kill herself along with him. That is her dream. And without spoiling too much, it gets completely crazy. You think it's a complete and utter nonsense and bullshit. And then it comes together pretty well. And I was like, yes, that's pretty good. And then they go ahead and spoil it with a stupid ending that plays back to the beginning. And there's this really kind of almost comedic stuff with this police officer where he calls and tells him all the crazy things that happens and the cops never believes him, but you know, kind of goes down and checks everything. And he's like, you're crazy. You're crazy. You're crazy. So like, I don't really know if I could give this a strong recommendation. It is super weird and super bizarre. And I do think people will enjoy it. it you got to see it for yourself. If this sounds like it interests you, I am definitely not unhappy that I watched it or have it. I think it's a well worth checking out, but it's just a bonkers movie. And it definitely one of these batshit kind of movies. I, I don't, I never heard of it um, from 78. Uh, what is it? There's just like six titles all involving a butterfly woman chasing the butterfly of death. I had to look again, so I didn't mispronounce it, but yeah, it's a weird movie. Weird, weird movie. Okay, uh, the next one here is from Arrow Video, and this is Apprentice to Murder, starring Chad Lowe and Donald Sutherland, and Eddie Jones, which was a nice touch. Yeah, um, what can I say? Um, I love Donald Sutherland. To be honest, he was one of my favorite actors when I was young, when I was like uh, 11, 12, I saw The Dirty Dozen, and I thought Pinkley was one of the best characters, him and Maggot, I loved, and Donald Sutherland was great in that movie, so I always had uh, affinity for Donald Sutherland. And Chad Lowe, seeing him in this movie, I was thinking, Rob Lowe's little brother, I think I've seen him in one movie, and and our couple highway to hell and like that uh, one blood movie, true blood or something crime movie. And I didn't remember much about him, but I was impressed actually for his acting in this film. This is a weird movie. It takes place in 1927. It's based on a true story. It takes place in kind of like a Dutch Pennsylvania area. And I'll say that the film looks gorgeous. There's a lot of trees and a lot of wet dampness and it feels like fall all the time in this area, even though the, the seasons tend to change whenever the hell they want. But um, I really do enjoy how this movie looks. It looks great. I like the um 
setting. I like the houses and stuff like that. The set designs are all really well done. Well, Chad Lowe is kind of a, a lowly guy that takes place. Um, he works in a factory, but he also helps his parents. Eddie Jones is his father. He's a drunk. Eddie Jones is in the New Kids and a bunch of other stuff. He's really good in this movie, really good in the New Kids. And uh, so he takes care of his drunk drunkard father. He doesn't want to leave his mother with her because he's a piece of crap and he's abusive. So he ends up befriending this uh, powwow doctor, which is a very kind of weird combination of Christianity and or Catholicism. Christianity, same same kind of deal. And like old kind of like voodoo mythology, kind of weird stuff. Um, a powwow doctor, and that's Donald Sutherland, who kind of has been in trouble for practicing without actually having a medical degree and things like that. And he has kind of a small practice. Well, Chad Lowe falls in with him. And a young girl lives with uh, um, Donald Sutherland, um, Mr. Reese, and he starts to have a relationship with her. And that's kind of the story with these three people. So uh, Donald Sutherland is really good in this movie, and he seems to be suffering from, you know, some sort of uh, schizophrenia almost, where he has, I'm not necessarily sure what it is, I'm wrongly diagnosing it, but he has seizures and mania and things like that. But what happens is they believe in these curses, and um, it's called Apprentice to Murder, and it's like based on a true story, so I don't want to spoil too much, but you might have known the case. But it's it's kind of very uh, sad what happens here, and uh, like I said, it, it kind of reminds me at the same time of like that movie Dark August, where we have these kind of like weird curses and hexes put on people and everything like that. It's it's an interesting movie, and I'm not sure if it 100% works or if I 100% like it, but I did enjoy checking it out, and I was interested in a lot of the things here. And also, it's one of these deals where it's like a religious kind of horror movie, so at times, you don't know what's supernatural. You don't know what's psychological. They play with that. At times, somebody breathes fire, but it's also kind of suggested that it's only in their head, and it's not actually happening here and there. Uh, like I said, Donald Sutherland shines in the movie. Chad Lowe's surprisingly good. I remember enjoying the music in here and the score and the set design, how it looked. That's It's a decent, enjoyable, kind of interesting movie by New World Pictures and better than you would think, to be honest. And I, you know how they had like Flowers in the Attic was a New World Picture and that one was just kind of like bonkers and weird. This is definitely weird, but I wouldn't call it bonkers. I would say it does have an interesting kind of, it, it, I think it has a kind of a bad rap. It didn't have a very high rating on uh, in an MMA database. And I, I, I would come down like at a three out of five I think it's pretty solid and enjoyable and interesting. Interesting for sure. And and like I said, better performances than I thought. And Donald Sullivan I knew was going to be great, but Chad Lowe surprised me, to be honest. So yeah, and it just uh, it has a nice atmosphere to it, to be honest. Um, how many times can I say to be honest, right? But uh, my favorite special feature on here was the Cat Ellinger little featurette where she, for about 15 minutes, she talks about um, religion and horror. And she starts back with like old like uh, Bible verses and stuff and goes all the way up until this movie and past this movie. That's very interesting and enjoyable as well. Um, she talks, she lands on lots of classic movies, the Sentinel. I don't, she she touches all of them. Um, but yeah, it's a nice release from Arrow. It sounds good. It looks good. There's a commentary on there. There's an interview with the cinematographer. If this sounds like it's up your alley, um, then check it out. I was kind of, I didn't know much about the movie and I was, I was happy with it. I wasn't blown away, but I wasn't uh, disappointed either. That's Apprentice to Murder. I believe I can teach you more than reading and writing. I believe you've been sent to me. But now it's very apparent that Billy is as scared as John is. Now he has this notion that there are some satanic forces at work here. For example, one day I said, oh, I'm only pulling your leg. He said, I'm sorry. You never touched me. I said, no, I'm putting it out. You didn't understand little phrases like that. I remember doing a trick of putting a, a glass through the tablecloth and tying this to remember it to this day, which is 30 something now. Slightly different to Night of the Hunter and Apprentice to Murder, but it does follow those same themes of somebody driven to, to do crazy things in the name of God. I command thee in the body of Christ, depart from this place. Go. <laughs>
Hammer time. For all who are willing to pay the price, we invite you to go through the mirror of life. What's up, guys? This is uh, Hammer Time, week 26, 27. I don't know. I'm not keeping track. and this, uh, But I am keeping track of the title we're reviewing, and that is The Mummy Shroud. Yeah, that's right, the third in the Mummies franchise that has nothing to do with the other Mummy movies. And I honestly was hoping it was Quatermass in a pit, and then when I saw The Mummy Shroud, I was like, oh, no, Jeremy's going to be pissed. Because the first two mummy, the first mummy movie is dull, but okay, it, it has some nice moments. The second mummy's movie is one of the worst of the Hammer series so far, and then the third one, The Mummy Shroud. It's directed by John Gilling, who did Plague of the Zombies, and I believe Rasputin. He, he might have done another one too. Rasputin, yeah, and um, he did a couple of these, and it stars um, Jesus, Michael Ripper and Andre Morel. Yeah. Both uh, actually Hammer regulars who are both pretty good. Uh, Michael mm-hmm. Roper's in everything. Uh, Andre Morel is in uh, Shadow of the Cat, Hound of Vaskersville, and uh, Plague of the Zombies. Yeah. So he used some of the same people from Plague of the Zombies in this one. And uh, this is the best Mummy movie by far. It's actually really good. It's decent. It's, it's, it's okay. Really, this yeah. might be the best Mummy movie I've ever seen. It probably is. I mean, I don't know if you can make an actual good, compelling Mummy movie. I love Mummies, but only when they're in small doses. Like, a whole Mummy movie, they always become so typical. I guess vampire movies do, too, and Frankenstein stories. But they can... They're not as... Um, Mummy movies are not as interchangeable. You can't do many different things with a Mummy movie. Right. Like, the lore of a Mummy is just the lore of a Mummy. It's, yeah. it's all... Curses, you know, curses. What happened? Fall in love. Yeah, fall in love or reincarnated. It's you know fabrications of what happened when they opened King Tut's tomb. It's, it's, the, it's like there's always a guy who um, basically protects the prince or princess, and then he becomes the mummy and not, and he's always trying to revive her or, or whatever. I don't. It's always the same story. This one, we have a, a rich asshole. And mm-hmm. his son is an anthropologist, or is he archaeologist, or what do they call the Egyptian ones? Yeah, I'd say archaeologist. Archaeologist. And he has a crew, and they're all going, Andre Morel is one of them, and they're all trying to find this tomb of this lost prince who was chased away from his crown, and they died in the middle of the desert. And he had a major protector. Mm-hmm. So they're trying to find this tomb that's kind of lost, and they send a bunch of people around. They end up finding it. They enter the tomb, but it's kind of a makeshift tomb, probably for budgetary constraints. They added mm-hmm. that in the storyline. And uh, they remove this mummy shroud that is on this, and it brings back this kind of a protector, this bodyguard mummy. And, of course, it follows the curse. Anyone who's in the tomb must be killed. Right. And that includes the uh, father, mm-hmm. the son, um, a couple other people in there, and Michael Ripper, who is this kind of weirdo that runs this hotel that's like a, go, a yes man and always follows around um, the rich guy. He's great in this movie. The best part of the movie, he's genius in it, and I generally felt sorry for him. Michael Ripper? Yeah. Okay, yeah. <coughs> the acting's solid in this movie. It is. Um, I don't know who the rich guy is. I, he might be the protagonist in the movie. Well, no, the son is. The son's a good guy, but the son's not the protagonist. I think the rich guy is the guy that's actually they the protagonist. They both have equal screen time, though. Yeah, that's true. But he's like he's the one that's pushing the plot forward for the oh. most part. But he um, he does an amazing job. I've never seen him in anything else. I don't think I have either. And and how we had in the, the second Mummy movie, how we had mm-hmm. that one asshole guy who was all about the money. The profiteering he, guy. He was the best part of that movie. Yeah. And this guy is one of the better parts as well. See, well, he's trapped in this like foreign country and he wants to get out when the curse starts and people start to get murdered. But he's kind of trapped by this police officer who is generally a great police officer. He does mm-hmm. everything right. And he's one of those guys where he's faced with weird things and he doesn't necessarily believe. But when he 
it's pushed too far, he's kind of like, okay, the curse like, must be real. Right. It has to be. I, I believed in it, but I didn't want to be stupid about it. But um, I, I generally liked most of the characters in this mm-hmm. movie. And uh, the kills, although they're not gratuitous or anything, super gory, they're brutal. They are pretty brutal. Um, he's mean. This is the meanest mummy of all time. The It's Andre More- Morelli? And Andre Morel. Andre Morel. Um, so, like, like the whole thing is, like, whoever the rich guy is, I can't think of his actor or character name. Like, Andre Morel is the leading archaeologist, and this guy is kind of, like, his partner or kind of, like, sets things up. And he, the whole thing is with, like, the inspector and with, like, even um, the rich guy's son, it's like, you just killed or discredited Andre yeah. Morel so you could get all the credit for Ex- yourself. Of course, and, and it does the whole thing, kind of like a very gothic story where one of the people gets put in a nut house. Yeah. And that, that seems, maybe not even gothic, but definitely Universal Hammer. And I mm-hmm. think that happens in many of the Mummy movies. And I, it might be even in the original Mummy movie where somebody, I think it is, where the guy saw the Mummy and he went mad and he ends up in the actual, that does, that is a big part of the original Mummy. It's been a while since I've seen it, but he gets mm-hmm. put in the nut house. And that's very, they, they do the same kind of story arcs here and that's in there. The opening is hilarious bad though that's yeah. the only knock on the movie yeah the opening is is, is like when we were watching it, like they probably had a dialogue for all this but it was so terrible that's, that's that they, just they just did it over voice a voice over. narration voiceover um lots, i've seen that before yeah uh lots of uh you know old british white guys playing egyptians in this the bodyguard has got to be the worst um brown face of all yeah. time yeah like and i'm gonna say this middle-aged british guys don't look ethnic at all no. So when they do this, like in this movie or like the French movie, I think it was French or British co-production, whatever it is, it's called The Cannibals. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really bad. Like you'll see mutton chop sideburns in that one and mustaches on like supposed to be savages. And you're just like, what's going on here? But this one is really bad. Like, yeah, it's really laughable. That whole opening is terrible. I was like, oh, shit. Right when we saw that. But after they get in uh, modern times mm-hmm. and they actually do like all the, um, I love how like, the whole expedition's fun, but when he's forced to go on the expedition where somebody's like, are you going to go yourself? And he's like, and then his wife's like, yeah, he is. And he's like, uh-huh. speaking of which, the wife is one of the best characters in this. Yeah, she's I great too. I think her name was Barbara. I can't remember who played her, but um, she, like every line she has is like just very like cutting. It's, it's, she's always undercutting the husband. Like, yeah. like, you know, like, I'm staying here. I didn't go into the tomb. It doesn't matter to me. Like, and he's all sweating, like trying yeah. to say it's nonsense. Like, it's stupid. It's stupid. It's like, fine. But, fine, but I didn't go in there. Yeah. So I'm staying. I get, that's pretty funny. Yeah. I, it's very enjoyable. It's, mm-hmm. it's one of the best mummy movies I've actually seen, I think. Yeah. I mean, as far as mummy movies go, it's, it's pretty good, but. I haven't rewatched any of the Universal sequels in a long time. I've seen the original mummy a few times, and I haven't mm-hmm. watched the sequel since I was a kid. But I, I love scenes with mummies in them from, like, um,. Monster Squad, the mummy's cool, but Waxwork has a really great Egyptian scene, and mm-hmm. I love that. So, you know, I just wish that there was a little bit more like that. And I think that this one is the better, best of the mummy movies so far. Yeah, it, it's... I think it's probably the best one we've seen. Um, Hands down. I think... Like, I never understand why the mummy isn't always the pharaoh. Like, why can't the pharaoh be the mummy that kills? Why is it always a bodyguard? I don't know. That's just you know, the way it is. It's always, that's weird. Um, I like I like the idea of the shroud. That was cool. Um, you of know, whoever holds the shroud. Owns is. the power. And, of course, there's evil people controlling the mummy. Always in these movies. The fortune teller. Yeah, the she, her scene is really good. Um, I don't know about that. She's like a terrifying skinless turtle. but um, She's like... Yeah, she, she, her, I thought her scene was really okay. good. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I don't want to recommend this movie. I would. I like it. You I would recommend it. Yeah, it's a like, good one. It's good. Yeah, and Michael Ripper's so good in it. Michael Ripper is really and good. They, those they have the back and forth. The the rich guy and Michael Ripper. He's always constantly talking down to Michael Ripper and stuff, and mm-hmm. being terribly mean to him. And he it's is. just so sad. And Michael Ripper looks like a turtle man in this movie. He's such a good character actor that he looks so different from all his other movies all the time. My, Michael Ripper does, I think, save this movie for the most part. The movie's decent, and it Ripper's is decent. just a bonus. Yeah, I guess mummy. I don't know why I don't like mummy movies. They just kind of bore me. Most of them aren't great, but this one is. It is. I, I mean, I would give this three and a half out of five. Exactly. Seven out of five. Yeah. And here we got John Stanley's Creature Features. And let's see if he's got a mouthful for us on the Mummy Shroud. Where is it? Okay. 
Ooh, three out of five. That's pretty fair. 1967. Despite the cliches that riddle its plot, like holes in an ancient bandages, this hammer horror thriller is well done in acting department. After a cumbersome beginning in Egyptian times, as we're inundated with ex exposition about gauze enwrapped entity, we flash to present day as an expedition desecrates the tomb and removes mummy Eddie Powell to a museum to be resurrected by he who possesses an accursed blanket. It's a shroud. Intense murders follow. John Phillips is exceptional as the head of the expedition, a spoiled millionaire. Stylishly done with individual details, often outshining the sum total. Maggie uh, Kimberly portrays an unlikely archaeologist with what all those flimsy nightgowns and low-cut blouses. Best of the cast is Catherine Lacey as the decaying soothsayer who reads crystal balls. John Gilling wrote and directed, produced, and plotted by Anthony Nelson Keyes. This he pretty much we don't read these reviews before. Yeah, he pretty much said a lot what we agreed with. Yeah, half me, half you. He mm. did not mention Michael Ripper, but he said the acting was great and it was great. Mm -hmm. And he said the uh, the beginning was not particularly great as well. But you know, into into inundated with exposition about gauze and wrapped entity, we flashed to present day as you see. Like no, that was a pretty well written review. I agree with him. No, but it's pretty good. He's so focused on the hammer girls being like half nude, like it's like, and this is like I maybe for the time it was, but like I didn't even notice. Like yeah, I mean, I, I mean yeah, she was good looking and she was in some low cut kind of stuff, and it is kind of funny that she's an archaeologist, but at the same time the guys are walking around too without their shirts on. Today. Right, it's hot. It's a fucking desert. And then, like, I, I think that the best part of doing this whole Hammer thing is, like, being introduced to people like Michael Ripper. I agree. He's my um, favorite part so far. Yeah. Uh, every movie, every time he pops up in the movie, I really like him. There are some, some, like, cast members in some of the earlier stuff that would reappear, too. Yeah. Um, the the older woman in Bride of Frankenstein was also, or, um... Shadow of the, not Shadow of the she Cat. She was in Shadow of the Cat, and she was in... Bride of Dracula? Oh, no. Uh, Brides of Dracula. Brides of yeah, Dracula. Yeah, yeah. And um, did she, she fall really down good. and died in both movies? In both movies. Um, there was uh, the old uh, priest guy who was, I think, in Dracula and Franken. He was in a few of them. He also looked like a turtle. There was a lot of turtle-looking A lot people. of turtle guys in Britain, I guess. Yeah. You know, especially um, in this time period. I, um, I, I, I like this one a lot. Yeah. Michael Ripper's, like going up and up is one of my he favorite is. character actors for sure yeah. I, i'd recommend checking this one out mm -hmm. um next week is Quatermass in the pit and uh this has been the mummy shroud from 1967 good stuff Nightmare terror from the tomb. An ancient curse comes to life to strangle the living and raise the dead. Here is the horror and the terror of a story that began in ancient Egypt. Take Kazobe! When Kartu Bey, a son of Pharaoh, died in the desert and was covered in the shroud that bore the sacred power of life and death. What was he saying? He says that death awaits all who disturb the resting place of Kato Bay. Warning to every creature of flesh and blood, beware the beat of the cloth-wrapped feet. Beware the curse of the mummy's shroud. This is the leader of the British expedition who came in search of the tomb. <laughs> the rich and ruthless financier who believes money can bribe even the devil himself. This is the son who knows there is no escape. Someone or, or something is trying to destroy us. I believe it'll find us wherever we go. The wife and mother trapped by the mummy's shroud. Uh, I, I see death. This is Haiti. The crystal gazer who sees into the past and the terrifying future. This is the girl who is doomed, cursed by the mummy shroud. You mean I'm going to die? <laughs> I love you. 
you guys know it's back the pick a movie uh number two is back i told you guys i would do this again and i had a bunch of names that i already put in here i'm not taking any new names but i'm gonna let you guys get some of the old pick a movies that um this is like the second batch so all the names are in there and uh there's some new rules this time though uh, you can't you guys can't be giving me stuff from some rare movie that i have no uh way to get a hold of or it's going to cost me 78 dollars to import I'm not, I can't do it, and it takes too long to come in, and also at the same time, it's just too expensive. So um, it'd be nice if it was streaming. If not, I might own it, or if it's easy to find or cheap enough to find, I will do it. But some of these things just are, I, I'm sorry, they're just not, it's not possible. So let's see who gets it. Um, we got Warren and Tia's box. So hopefully, and, and if you don't get a hold of me within a week of this video, I'll have to skip it. So I'm not going to like try to force somebody ahead. If it doesn't happen, I'll just skip that and do one next week. So, yep, Warren and Tia's box. Get at me what you want me to cover. So I guess, ooh, we're going to go, sorry, dipping out of frame on professionalism. And then we're going to hop into the answers. From last week, I asked everybody what their favorite walking scene was in a movie. And uh, Jonathan Wilhelm from Patreon said, Walking scene has to be from Die Hard, Walking Over the Glass, or Ashes Stroll Through the Graveyard and Army of Darkness. Um, then we have some from Twitter, Matt uh, Godfrey. Ah, good question, man. The ending of One Flow to Cuckoo's Nest with Chief comes to mind. I love how he jogs away with a slow glide against some beautiful music and fades away. Maybe the opening from Transpotting? I don't know. Neither really apply. I'd have to think about it. Um, but then he says, actually, the opening scene from X Drummer. I think you said you hadn't seen it before, so I'd go ahead and mention it. It's a pretty messed up film. Dr. Jingish Chase, MD, of course. Halloween, Michael Myers behind the bush. Uh, Mr. Ramon, 420, the one and I truly enjoy is Goodfellas. Then we have some from YouTube. Irish Mad Dog, 1987. Favorite walking scene for me is from Once About a Time in the West. Jason Robards and his gang stepping out from the bushes. Dusters blowing in the wind to Morricone's perfect score. One of the most badass scenes from my favorite movie of all time. Great movie. Uh, Viper Rose, 1978. Favorite walking scene? I have to agree with you on Reservoir Dogs. The other one that sticks out is the ending to Adventures of Buckaroo Bonanza. I love that flick. I'm not a big fan of that one. I know I hate it. It's just, I know I just didn't see it at all when I was younger. And I saw it for like the first time, like five years ago. And it just didn't have an impact on me. Let me know. Does that one grow on people? Because I feel like I know it has a cult uh, essence, but I just don't, I never got into it. And I just, I, I don't, I want to like it. Then we have, uh, do we got some from Facebook? Where am I at here? Okay. Yeah, we have some from Facebook. Icarus Finn, Stand By Me. Shane Grant, Lord of the Rings, the entire trilogy. Dustin Mills, The Opening of Reservoir Dogs. Uh, Terminator 2, Arnie walking down the hallway of the hospital towards Linda Hamilton. It's a great one. Uh, Zach Killingsworth, and he just posted a gif of Divine Walking. Jamal Potter, Midnight Cowboy. Uh, Rudolph Thompson, The Opening uh, to Book of Eli. Jason Burning, Laurie Strode walking across the street to the Wallace House in Halloween. Scott Shermer, he posted one of uh, Star Trek. What is that? Is it Scotty hitting his head? I don't know which one that's from. Uh, Mike Parker, my brother. Tombstone, that's a great one. That's one of my favorites as well. Uh, Dutch uh, Marich, Blue Velvet. Thomas Steele, The End Credits of Buckaroo Bonanza. Uh, Jesse Bird, Clockwork Orange. Thomas Townsend, Stand By Me. Jason Lindbergh, not sure if this is what you mean by the walking. Uh, walking. Slow Burn of Bone Tomahawk is pretty awesome. Stand By Me has a great, a lot of great walking scenes. Jason Michael Willard, Midnight Cowboy. I'm walking here, that scene. Jeremy R., uh, Wizard of Oz. I like how the yellow brick road starts in a spiral and Dorothy starts slowly falls a spiral, building confidence with the denizens pushing her on. There's also... Teaching Scarecrow and Tin Men to walk as well as when the full party's together. Completing the If I Only Had a Brain, a Heart, the Nerve song. John, I'm going to mispronounce your name, so I'm going to apologize now. Um, John Nice supposed it's... I'm, I'm sorry, I can't even finish it. It's very long and I'd have to hear it pronounced out loud before I could ever get it right. But he put American Warp in London. That's a great one. Emil, Emil Johansson... Um, 
Walking in a scene is freaking hard, both to act and direct. That's all he said. He didn't actually give one. So we have Peter Engelin, top of my head. Yojimbo. Uh, Mifuni walks into the village. The Wild Bunch. That's my favorite. Uh, Profondo Rosso. David Hemmings inside that mansion. Um, the Blues Brothers. Jake's release from prison. An American Werewolf in London. Opening sequences on the Moors. And Goodfellas. Uh... Uh, Copabana sequence. And then we have Michael Church. Several scenes of you cats walking in hunters being forced to hold the camera takes you to a truly cruel and frightening place in mind. Uh, Craig Bulkin, or Brocken, Brocken, sorry. Uh, Exorcist, he does Ellen Burson. Uh, Frank Piccarelli, Saturday Night Fever. Jason Hodge, Lee Marvin, clomping down the hall in point blank. Philip A. Kirsch, Goodfellas, steady cam shot. Ray Stizzy, Reservoir Dogs. J. J. Je Jeffrey Lee, Slumber Part, the Slumber Party Massacre, or is it Last Slumber Party? Sorry, I believe it's the Last Slumber Party, the SOV movie. Timothy James Porter, Violent Cop. Derek Austin, the Tall Man Walking Down Main Street in Phantasm slash all the horse riding scenes in Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Don Adams, Museum Scene in Dress to Kill. Brian Ellis, Halloween, and last B.J. Colangelo, Jawbreaker's numerous walks of the girls in the hall to show the power shifts. I haven't seen Jawbreaker. I don't. That's one of those movies that I've seen on TV a lot as a kid, but I don't know if I've ever sat down and watched it. I know it's got a cult following and everything, and I'm sure I'd enjoy it. And then we have an old answer from James Grimmer: the meal scene in Alien is a favorite of mine, but I also like the one in Diabolique. Um, so that was for meal scenes. So um, this one, this this question of the week, I wanted to do for a while, and it is. Your favorite use of the F word in a movie. So uh, plug your ears if you don't want to hear language. But here's some that I love. Um, Robocop, um, when the uh, one bad guy, dead or alive, you're coming with me, or something you have the right to man on, he says, fuck you. I love that. I still say that in everyday life. Um, Day of the Dead, steal, fucking A. Can't beat the fucking A. And uh, Henry is one of my favorites. When uh, Otis hits um, Henry with a bottle and he says, adios, motherfucker. The way he delivers that sticks in my head. So those are three off the top of my head. So I um, also just one off the top of my head is Reservoir Dogs. I know, motherfucker. I just heard it. That's Chris Penn. So that one. Um, yeah. And I guess we're going to hop into the update, which is a huge update. So uh, bear with me. But I hope you guys enjoyed it. I know it was a shorter video. You know, if I should shoot so many videos, wouldn't it be? I wonder if I should do two videos in one week and cut them up. That might be nice, right? I don't know, but uh, I guess we're going to hop into that update. Okay, let's get into this big son of a bitch. We're going to start with the Vinegar Syndrome titles. Yes, this is Amityville, The Cursed Collection. Uh, yeah, this is, um, according to them, this they actually, this is parts uh, 4, 5, 6, and 7, and part 5 is not really part of the series, the one that's not in here. So that's uh, what they said, so cool. Yeah, but look what we got here on the side. Four Evil Escapes, five, um, what is, yeah, Evil Escapes. Then we got um, 92, It's About Time, Amityville, The New Generation, Amityville Dollhouse. This is so cool. Nice set. Um, you know what? I've never really watched the Amityville movies, or I don't remember them. I remember part, I guess I used to call it six, or whatever. It's About Time I had seen as a kid a couple times, and I always really enjoyed that one. Tony Randall movie. I remember Melting. It was one of those deals where, like, you've seen it and you couldn't remember the title, and then when I eventually resaw it, I was like, oh, that's, I remember this freaking movie. And I bet I've seen the other ones, too. It's just been so long. I can't wait to watch these, to be honest. What if I did all the Amityville movies? Would you guys actually be interested in that? Uh, so, yeah, let's get that bad boy out of sight. That's a really great set, to be honest. I'm very impressed with how they did that. It's a lot like the um, Hell Comes to Frogtown, where you like just you think that all of it comes out, but it doesn't. Just a heavy duty, one of the best boxes I've ever seen. And then we got another one from Vinegar Syndrome, Berserker. I actually had an import DVD of this. This is a slasher movie. Uh, yeah, looks really cool. I know some people think it's a killer bear movie, but um, it is not. But yeah. Maybe there is a killer bear in it, but I, I always thought it was a guy in a bear suit. But anyways, I uh, hope that's not a spoiler. That's just what I've heard for years. But yeah, I love when they release the 80s stuff. I know a lot of people on their Facebook page were complaining that they wanted more hardcore titles, but I've enjoyed almost all the stuff. They, I'm more of a horror exploitation guy, so when they do that, I'm into it. Beyond the Door 3, a.k.a. Amok um, Train. This is also a cover that I saw a million times at the freaking video store. 
to be honest. And the Behind the Door series, they're not even related. What is the, the one of them sh is Shock by Mario Bava, and I can't remember the other Beyond the Door. Oh, well, it's actually Beyond the Door, and then Shock's probably two, and this is number three. So that's probably the Beyond the Door series. I don't know if there's a four. And last of the Vinegar Syndromes, I've been waiting for this movie forever. I've always enjoyed this one. Always gave this one some love on Mass Part 25. Yeah, um, before Behind the Mask, before Scream, yeah, behind, uh, Mask Part 25. Always dug this one, very enjoyable. Makes some statements on the slasher genre, British, or English, gory, silly, very fun. I think it'll make a good double feature with their release of Psychos in Love, which is one of my favorites as well, so yeah. Then we have some um, Dark Force. We have the double feature here, The Loners and Dragon vs. Needles, Needles of Death. I got it for the loners. It, it was kind of like you buy two for 30 or something like that, and I bought it for a mirror mirror, and I wanted to check these ones out. Uh, if I would have known they, I could have got it with Ator, I would have done that. But hey, then we got Mirror Mirror, which I don't know if I've ever seen this movie. It's one of those ones that I remember the cover, but I don't know if I've ever watched it. I always, I want the original cover. Is that of Mirror Mirror 1 or 2, where it's like the lady, there's a monster in the mirror? I freaking remember that cover forever. But I want to check the first two out. I got them now. Like I said, I had the actual DVD from Anchor Bay, too, that set, but I never got a chance to watch it. Then we have some freaking Ronin Flex ones from Code Red or Scorpion. It's Scorpion. Deep Space by Fred Olin Ray. This commercial looks so ridiculous that I had to see it. It looks splattery and gooey, and it looked like it had a nice cast. But yeah, Deep Space. And then I had to have it. It's a it's a Fulci on Blu-ray. This movie's crazy. It's this fantasy movie. Look, there's zombies, there's werewolves, there's like steelhead snake women and barbarians. This movie's ridiculous. It's gory. There's more fog than in the freaking fog. Look at it. You just can't even see. I, I'm surprised there's any definition in this movie at all with all the fog. But it's been a while since I watched it. Upgrading my Blue Underground DVD for Conquest. Fun Fulci. Then we got some Shout Factory. Oh, wait, I might as well show this. A little magnet. Yeah, that's going on the fridge ASAP. And then we have The Chosen, which is a Scream Factory. Got it from Hamilton Books for like 15 This is an Italian movie with uh, Kirk Douglas. So, yeah, not seen this one. I think this one is also called like Rain, Ring of Fire or what is it? Yeah, I think it is. Or Holocaust 2000. I can't remember, but The Chosen. Not a great name. Then we have Poltergeist 2. Got this from the Target buy. Uh, to get one. Still waiting on my part three. I've never been a huge fan of Poltergeist 2. Oh, you guys know that. But uh, for the price, I wanted to check out the features and maybe develop a love for this movie over time. Uh, maybe there's some cool stuff on here. love part three, and I like one. And I'm waiting for a special edition of one before I buy the old Blu-ray. But yeah, Poltergeist 2. No slipcover. Um, who cares, though? The Devil Rides Out. This is a hammer whore from Scream Factory. I think I've actually seen this one. Charles Gray's in it. Yeah. And it's been a while, though. Remember, it's like a cult hammer movie. But yeah, it looks cool. All the demons of hell are summoned to earth to claim the devil's bride. There's Christopher Lee. Is Peter Cushing in this one? It's got a nice cast, like I said. Is Charles Gray? Yeah, Charles Gray is in this one and Christopher Lee. So that's pretty good. Who directed this one? It's a Terrence Fisher. Cool, cool. Then we got, I don't know why I did this, but I had to have it. There's like better movies on the Target buy to get one, and there's tons that I wanted, but I had to, for some reason, get this one. Basically, it came out to like $19 with the buy to get one. And I, this isn't a great movie. I've never really cared for it, but I'm interested in the special features, and I figured there's no way I'll ever pay full price, so getting it at 19 might be the only time I'll ever buy it. Uh... And I think there's two cuts on this one. So, yeah, it includes two versions of the film, the theatrical and the director's cut. So, yeah, maybe I'll have to check out the director's cut someday. Then we have, from Scream Factory, their release of The Blob. Had to have it. Come on. Kevin Dillon, everybody's going to make fun of the plumage. But I really like this one. This is one of the rare times that the remake um, is way better than the original. And I do like the original. And I even like its silly sequel, Beware the Blob. But this one's just tremendous. The special effects are great. Chuck Russell's great. I just love this freaking movie. It's, it's one of my favorite movies of the 80s, to be honest. One of my favorite movies, probably. I always enjoyed it. Then we have uh, some Mondo stuff, The Slave. The tagline cracks me up. She had everything except the bondage and humiliation she craved. Um, yeah, this is a blue DVD combo. I think I grabbed this because I heard about um, Cat Ellinger and Sam Deegan talking about it in the um, their podcast they do, uh, Die, uh, Daughters of Darkness. So, And they made it sound pretty interesting. So, yeah. Looks good. 
Love Mondo Macabro. Picked up this one as well. Um, Knight Has a Thousand Desires. It's a Jess Franco film. Pretty good price on it. Always wanted to get it. I just always passed on it. And finally, I bit the bullet. I think I have tons of Jess Franco on Blu-ray. So, yeah. Uh, one day I'll have to have a Franco Francothon or something. And then we have Don't Be Afraid of the Dark from Warner Archive. Um, I like this movie. It's been a while since I've seen it. TV movie. Uh, yeah, it was remade. Uh, produced by Del Toro. But, yeah. I love little creatures. Would love to rewatch this one. This would have been a perfect rewatch on Halloween. So yeah, check that out. Dig what Warner Archive does. Then we have the Banana Splits movie. <laughs> Try La La Tear. Come on now. I remember watching this show as a kid, and I couldn't believe this was real. I thought it was a parody. I swear, I was like, this is fake. This isn't real. This isn't right. Um, and then when it actually, it's Warner Brothers. I can't believe this movie exists. I have to check it out, but I really can't. I can't believe this is a real thing. But yeah, I want to check it out. Then we have Tone Deaf, um, Ricky Bates' new movie. Uh, Robert Patrick. Um, yeah, I love Robert Patrick. I love Ricky Bates' movies. I haven't watched Trash Fire, but I absolutely adored Excision. I loved um, Suburban Gothic, and I need to watch Trash Fire. I think he has a unique voice, and I hear him on podcast. It's just like, I like this guy. He's he's super freaking weird, and he just sounds like somebody I would like. So uh, Tone Deaf, I want to check that one out for sure. And then we have Panic in the Streets with uh, Jack Palance. This looks really good. Um, never seen it. Hamilton Books, good price. Uh, black and white movie about a virus or like a, yeah. It's a, a world famous director, of course, uh, Kazan. So yeah, Panic in the Streets. Look forward to checking that out. And then last, but certainly not least, we got the Cowboys and the Green Berets and uh, the Searchers, which I already have. But I really bought it to get the Cowboys and Green Berets. It was uh, like $7. Can't beat that. Three John Wayne movies on Blu-rays. I love these three discs set, man. They like they. I bought tons of them because they're all three on separate discs. Um, remember watching the Cowboys in school. That American Frontier class. It's a classic. Um, Green Berets, I know, uh, got a lot of shit because um, at the time it was like a pro-Vietnam movie or whatever. Uh, so I've never seen this one. And The Searchers is a bona fide classic. So what do you want? But yeah, I, I want to revisit the Cowboys. Bruce Dern, Robert Carradine, and of course, John Frickin' Wayne. So yeah, I guess that's all I have. We're going to hop back to the video. Okay, guys. Thank you very much for watching. As always, you guys have a good one. Mm.